What's going on? Hold tight, hold tight. Wanna fix that for a second. What's good, family? This is your brother, Professor Carl Tone Jones, and welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of Office Hours. I am your gracious host. Um, as you know, rolling solo for a minute, but it's all good. Um, you just heard Walk With Me. That's from my brother Eddie Somerset and his new um, album that he has out called Surviving the Game. You can find that on iTunes. You can also find, I think you can find it on Google Play as well, um, and iHeart and all that good stuff. So if you want to get a chance, my brother, you know, it's a little $7 contribution to get some real good conscious music. You know what I'm saying? What's up, what's up, what's up, family? So first and foremost, family, I want you to do as I'm doing and share this joint with everybody. Let me see. Shout out. So I got my, um, got my people online right now. I got my brother Abdul Kali. Yo, Wakusu King. Yo, man, I saw a video of this brother today, man, teaching the young cats out there in cold water how to get down with the MMA, UFC, martial arts type fighting and self-defense, working with the children. So anytime somebody takes time out their schedule to work with our children, we always have to show them love, family. So make sure you show my brother some love. Um, hold tight. Oh, I, oh, I'm jumping the gun. I don't want to get to this just yet. But don't worry. We're going to get to that shortly. So what I would like to do, family, like, um, is, is talk about some of the things we did earlier today. As far as first and foremost, I'd like to thank everybody for tuning in. Like I said, make sure you all share this broadcast because tonight we're going to get some heavy metal. Um, brother Zai Shmel. Peace and Black Power to you, family. Um, Sister Monica Mitchell. Peace, peace and Black Power to you, sis. Wakusu, Brother Oba. Wakusu, Brother Oba. Don't forget, family, if you're going to be in Philadelphia on the first Saturday in August, August 4th, we're going to be national. It's going to be African Independence Day, the African Independence Day program. Um, something very good for us to get into. You know, we all need to be about, about that life. Um, good evening, Sister Tiffany Walker. Peace and Black Power to you, Queen. Um, so, uh, Glad I had a chance to, to go down today. I was at the PASAP uh, program at um, Temple University today. And um, one of the things that, um, you know, I was able to do, we were able to sit in on a, pro uh, a program and I was able to do a, a workshop today at Temple University for the um, PASAP program. It was a um, re-entry job fair for brothers and sisters who were not just brothers and sisters, the majority brothers and sisters who spent some time incarcerated um, it was offering them opportunities to get employment, but, you know, I was invited in, you know, I had to do the spill, you know, letting them know we need projects, we need black independence, if we're going to actually see some real cheddar in this movement, you know what I'm saying, we got to start moving, but I'm glad I got a chance to go down there, one of the brothers that sat in on my, um, what the, I hate this shit, um, sorry, I was supposed to be updating my, um, this, uh, window, she's trying to update my computer, not right now. I ran into brother Jerome Fox, and Jerome Fox wrote this book, Addicted to White. I copped this off that brother today, Addicted to White. You all need to get this book. From what I'm understanding, and so I was able to breeze through another brother's, uh, Phil Washington's copy of this book. You all need to get this book. This book talks about the very issues we're dealing with in the black community, and I think it's very important for us to start understanding how addicted we are to the white community, how we're addicted to their presence, needing them in our lives, needing their approval, needing their protection, needing uh, them to serve us with the various needs that we have. And we need to start thinking more independently and moving independently. So Addicted to White outlines all those different things. And you know, from what I understand, it urges Black people to start um, 
Uh, let me just read the, the cover on the back. It says here, Dr. Dr. Fox studies white oppression and its effects on black culture and empowerment, suggesting that an addiction to five core values, which inherently promote tactic or tacit acceptance of white domination, may be at the root of, of, of the problem. Imagine being able to race relations, uh, to change race relations forever with just a simple shift away from these five values. Dr. Fox knows it's possible and urges black people everywhere to start practicing recovery strategies now. See, we're not the only ones on this empowered, you know, black community push. You know what I'm saying? And I was able to grace the program, you know, with a copy of the Independence Day Project. Listen, family, let me tell you something. Um, there was a young brother who happened to be sitting in the classroom when we were talking. And this young brother in the classroom, you know, um, when I was talking about putting it up um, as, the, as one of the uh, gifts, we were all required to bring something to raffle. So the young brother um, called me and he practically had tears in his eyes. You could hear his voice crackling because of how happy he was that he had won the Independence Day Project because of something that is something that he was, you know, something that he felt deeply entrenched because I, I got to show them a little bit of it there. But also some of the concepts that we were talking about, he's just all aligned with it. And it's always a good thing to hear our young people enthusiastic about doing something that leads to change in our community, that, that are ready. Like I said before, man, the young, the young people get it. We just have to get to them. But the young people get it. And we need to, we need to break that, um, these boundaries and break these, um, these silly idioms that, you know, where we want to just speak to them and talk to them and not be heard. No, they, we did not earn that. As their elders, you know, it's just respectful that they call us elders because technically speaking, we haven't earned that. We have not put a protective bubble around our children to allow them to mature in the world in which we prepare for them or pre we prepare them for. We haven't done that. So, you know, a lot of people need to get off their high horse when it comes to judging the youth. Do they do a lot of stupid shit? Yeah, but that's a reflection of us. You know, so we need to open the doors, open the gateways to the, to the young people and inspire them when they're ready to move and push forward. So I see we got a lot of people tuning in tonight. Please share this broadcast, family, because we are going to get into the nitty gritty. I'm going to be inviting some people. You know, uh, shout out to, to my brother Ishmael Jimenez, man. Ishmael Jimenez and his family. Uh, remember when I told y'all we got into that incident at the Walnut Street Theater? at 40th and Walnut here in Philadelphia. And, you know, um, just so you know, there's a long history of them doing this thing where they call the police and the police come out like SWAT to any issue when it's concerning black people. Well, guess what? This man was there with his family. His children happened to be in the movie theater. They exited the movie theater, but they tried to go back in to retrieve their children, eight-year-olds to 10-year-olds. They tried to go back into retrieve their children. And don't you know? The movie theater would not, the patron, the, uh, the the staff at the movie theater would not let them get their children. In addition to that, they called the police and the police came out and drove. So they're having a protest at 40th and Market, I mean 40th and Walnut tomorrow. I have to check the time if anybody's interested um, to protest this particular situation. But family, we, we really need to start getting on ball. And this is what we try to tell people before. Don't spend your money where you're not wanted. Well, that's why when I still see people going to Waffle Houses, and I still see black people, you know, trying to pretend like they're above the whole stench of racism. You know, how can you, you can't be above the whole stench of racism, family. Racism is, is what happens in America. Racism is what America was built on. And, and people will exercise their race, their white privilege. They will weaponize their whiteness every chance they get. 
Every chance they get, they will weaponize their whiteness. And this is what we're seeing happening to us, family. We're seeing them weaponize their whiteness. But let me explain something to you. This ain't no new phenomenon. And that's why we need to start getting on page with what, with, you know, things that teachers like myself, my brother IJ, when we get out here and we start talking, my brother Mr. Chen, when we start telling y'all about what's happening in, in the world and what's happening to black people, this is not a new phenomenon, family. This is history repeating itself. That's why we seem so prophetic. We actually study and research. <laughs> you know, I know that's a foreign concept nowadays, you know, especially with the information right at fingertips. But we study and research. That's why all this stuff, all the things we're seeing, family, is easy to decipher. It's easy to decipher because it's all it's just a cycle being repeated over and over and over again. All right. So um and, and real quick, you know, because I was asked about what happened with the young brother out in Pittsburgh, you know, um, and forgive me for not um, having his name on the tip of my tongue, um, you know, but the officer came out and said he's not worried about a damn thing. <laughs> the officer came out and said he's not worried about um, a damn thing. Only thing he's worried about is God and the, and the judgment of the uh, presiding judge over his case. You know what I mean? The, the officer that was sworn in, you know, uh, let me see, what's the young brother's name? Because I don't want to mess that up. You know, I don't, I want to make sure I, I get be respectful about him um, because, you know, what they do is um, Antoine Rose. There we go. Antoine Rose. And, you know, um, family, we, we, you know, somebody asked me before, what do we, what do we do about situations like that? And I keep trying to tell you, family, until we have a community that fosters some type of fear and the dominant society, a community that works in walls cohesively, no overnight situations won't change that. Now, we can do things to start pushing towards changing how we're treated by law enforcement. We can start, you know, doing things immediately that will create a shock to the system. But if we're talking about long-term overall success in regards to how we're dealing with you know members of the dominant society or how we're dealing with law enforcement when they come for us, then we have to really start talking about you know uh, moving towards building collective goals, having a cultural shift, and where we get away from rugged individualism and we start focusing on building up our black community. That's the only way you want to get away from it because you don't hear about you know in Philadelphia the number one um, gang violence, the number one um, culture or uh, ethnic group in terms of or race sponsor for gang violence in Philadelphia is um, Asians. You know, in Chinatown, you know, they got the gangs. But you never hear about, you know, you never hear about um, the, the the police officers mistakenly shooting one of them. You know what I'm saying? In China, you know, and that's because they got whole countries that they got a state, they got a state of, a state of nationhood that backs them up. You know what I'm saying? They, you won't ever see that because there's a, an inherent consequence. There's no inherent consequence for killing black people right now. You know what I'm saying? They even got it to the point where we question, well, maybe they shouldn't be running. or maybe There's no death sentence for running from a cop. There's no death sentence, especially when you got these little white children or these white cats rolling up in the schools with AR-15s and shit, gunning down whole stats and able to come out and have their day in court. You got white people walking in the movie theaters, shooting 87 people, murdering 13, you know what I'm saying? And they still get to have their day in court. Booby trapping their goddamn house with bombs, but they get a chance to have their day in court. So this is why we keep saying, you know, this system of white supremacy is not, 
you know, it's not for us to fight from within, it's for us to create a dichotomy for which our system is up against their system, and they understand that if they buff against our system, there will be a systemic consequence for their system. You know what I'm saying? So that's what we get into. So let's let's get into the whole recent phenomenon, right? Uh, let me see. Let me, let, let's 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 go to the tapes. You know what I'm saying? Um, you know, because recently there's been a phenomenon now where people, white people, are calling the cops on our babies. So. Um, we'll run through a few, a few videos, and y'all just rock with me for a minute because we're going to talk about this whole thing with Jezebel, the whore Babylon. We're going to talk about how Jezebel has been creating situations and problems for a long time. But let me see. This is this currently, this is a white woman out in California, and if I'm not mistaken, this young lady was calling the police office. She's calling the cops on um, an eight-year-old selling borders out in front of the building. So let's let's just play this for a second because you know what I'm saying we need to they're, they're calling this one permit pay. Hold on. All right. Now, now, now I want y'all to pay attention to something. Because it's always something here. Oh, I turn up. Now let's let's just understand this family. Let's just understand this. First and foremost, she's not embarrassed. She got caught. She got caught calling the police officers. She, you know, because because this is a this is a um thing that this is sport now. This is a sport in which white women have gotten away with lying so much to law enforcement on black people, specifically black men, that now they've upped the ante. So now it's become culturally enriching, culturally empowering to say, oh yeah. You won't do the things I say as a white person, specifically as a white woman. And I've been warning people about white women for a long fucking time. Now, so they have, they're on a power trip. You know, white women want to actually, you know, they want to rival white men for, you know, um, global, global power and dominance and shit. But they realize they still have to play their part in pecking order. But they think that, you know, because they're white women, they have a strategic advantage over everybody else and they weaponize their whiteness. So what's been happening is white women have been weaponizing their whiteness and they have been utilizing it to get black people in trouble. And see, now what the deal is, is not just black men anymore. Remember how when Bill Cosby was accused of raping 49 people, like 50 people, and people were saying, well, there's so many people, how can it be, how can it not be true? They all lying? And I was saying, I was one of the few people saying, there's a good chance they're all fucking lying because that's just how white women are. Lo and behold, you got all these different cases. Let me go back to the tapes, family. Now, all these different cases of white women lying. You got permanent pay. You got the Yale graduate who was sleeping in the lounge. Remember that one? Remember that one? The Yale graduate who was sleeping in the lounge, sleeping in the dorm, and the white woman called the cops on her, saying that she didn't live there? Get out of here with all this crap. Um, see what I'm saying? Hold on. We got another one. We got another one. Don't forget Barbecue Becky. Don't forget Barbecue Becky. You got that one, right? And these trail, this trail of tears, and then when they get caught, they have this, these um, these crocodile tears that they like to go out and play. But family, look how far back this goes. And I'm not even going all the way back. Remember this? This was just a year ago, right? This was just a year ago when the lies about Emmett Till came out. Now, we all knew that um, Cal Bryant was lying when she said that she testified that Emmett Till had touched her. You know, Emmett Till had winked at her. You know, his cousin said he winked at her and smiled and said, hey, Dave, at the most. 
And we know that in, in Alabama at the time, that was that was punishable by death. But at the same time, she still lied. White woman lied and had this young brother killed, assassinated, tortured. You know, and she was okay with it up until her dying declaration. She didn't admit this shit until she was about to die. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, and don't forget about all those pictures now. Don't forget about all those pictures, family, when you have uh, people um, inviting each other for the picnics, when they were lynching black people, they would announce it in the newspapers, and people would walk off with body parts and souvenirs. Don't forget, there were a lot of young children, both white boys and girls, in those particular at those particular picnics. All right. Now we're not just talking about a new phenomenon, family. This goes all the way back. This goes back to the plantation when white women were caught sneaking into the quarters of uh of, of African slaves, and and they would say that the slave that he dragged her in there and he had her his way with her this that and the other, and they would lie on the brothers and that was the key because that picked up after slavery that was the new jim crow uh, effort and um method to destroy black towns they would have they would build up they would use propaganda keep going back to this now because you gotta understand this they would use propaganda in the newspapers they would put all these different articles and like i said nobody could read back then so they had to put it in a form where people could understand political comics and they created political comics building up the narrative that black men, these big black brutes, were knuckle dragging gorillas and apes that were, you know, snatching white women off the streets and, and taking them into the woods and raping them and this, that, and the other. Ironically, the movie King Kong illustrates this perfectly, this whole phenomenon and this game of propaganda. But this was the story that was used to burn down towns like Rosewood. Hadesville. Oh, was it Gainesville? Hadesville. Fucking, uh, uh, we all know about Tulsa. But there were dozens and dozens of cities and towns and neighborhoods where they utilized the white woman lying, saying that she was accosted or raped or touched or sexually offended by a black man. And then they went back and burned down the whole village. They burned down the whole town center. They burned down the whole black neighborhood. And they used it as ammunition to kill every living black soul and steal their land and property. This is what I'm talking about, family. When I'm talking about, you know, um, I talk about how this is not a new phenomenon for white women to, to weaponize their whiteness and lie on black people and contact law enforcement. So this thing that's happening right now, it's not new. This is going on. This is why we need to start getting our act together, building black empowerment to fuel black independence. You gotta stop playing games and stop acting like this is not a war. This is war shit that they're doing. And they say, this is not even dog whistle sign. They're whistling like, <laughs> I can never do that whistle. But they're whistling like that. Just, you know, they're, both, they're, they're, they're tooting the blow horn. You know what I'm saying? These are the battle cries that they're doing because you notice it's not happening in just one place. This shit is happening all over the country. In fact, hold on for a second. There's a video that I had today that's freaking ridiculous. 
when I when I saw it, I had to uh, share it. Um, shout out to Raheem Shabazz, but um, he had put this video up earlier. This shit was crazy. Hold on for a second. I'm gonna I'm gonna drag this over here. Hold on. Oh, over. You just said you would kick her ass. No. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, y'all. And make sure y'all share this. I asked y'all to share this. Y'all don't be sharing this joint. I'm trying to told y'all, man. I'm trying to put y'all on some game for real. Y'all don't want to share. It's all good. But peep this shit right here. This this chick called the cops for this shit. You just, but you're the one. You're the one threatening people, though. You just said you would kick her ass. No. Yes, she did. That's not her responsibility to make you feel bad. She said she wanted them to come over to her because she was depressed and she wanted them to talk to her. As if they were under some unknown authority to to apprehend to this to this demand. To to you know what I'm saying not to apprehend, but to to, to I can you can you feel me here for a minute? Like my confusion. Oh I'm playing, hold on, hold on. That's right. She said they threatened her. She called the cops. Listen to this shit. You see that shit? How she tried to turn it around? Did you see that? <laughs> all right. Hold on. Let's go back a little bit. Let's go back because, you know, I, I need for y'all to see what she just did. Now, I, mean, I don't want this happening. Hold on. Hold on. All right. Sorry about that. That was the, you know how the video plays on. That was a woman saying at a pool, right? Public pool, that she was depressed. White woman. She was depressed and she pretty much demanded that these black women who happened to be sitting at the pool with her uh, offer her counsel, talk to her. You know, and they said no. They said no. Nah, we, we we're not we're not following that. We, we're not um you know that's not our job. You know what I'm saying we don't have any responsibility for that. You know and um they said uh so so she called the cops on them. She called the cops on them. See that's the fallback now. You know what I'm saying? And somebody put a meme up the other day and said white women are calling the police on black people like it's customer service. No, it is their customer service. Because they're the customers and the police provide the service to protect them and their interests at all times. You know, the funny thing is, every time the cops show up, they still they still follow through and arrest somebody, even for these frivolous claims, which goes into what I keep telling tell you, family. As black people, 
we really don't have any place in terms of the, the pecking order, in terms of any power in America. There's nothing that tells anybody in America that they have to respect black people. Nothing. There's nothing that, that, that black people are doing right now that commands respect. I don't care how much money you make, you do it by yourself, up you go, down you fall. You know what I'm saying? Nothing you do individually will protect you. Only as a group and as a collective, and we start collaborating and working together, can we start omitting some of these offenses that are happening to us. And not under the umbrella of cooperation within this system, but cooperation outside of this system for the empowerment of black people. That's the only way we have, that's the only answer we have right now. Family, I'm trying to tell you, all these things that are taking place right now, this is just a cyclical report, but they just upped the ante a little bit. Because now, see, when, when it was just black men that, that were the target of white women, and I meant to get into this last week, when I because I wanted to talk about the relationship between, you know, the mistress of the manor and the plantation hand. Basically, um, white women on plantations and black slaves, black male slaves. I wanted to get into that conversation last week. Um, but we got into another another topic, which is good, which is good. But when we start talking about the, um, when you start hearing about what's happening with, in regards to, you know, this relationship between white men, white women and black men, it's always been one of subjectivity. In other words, white women have always wanted black men to be their subjects, their loyal subjects, for which, you know, we, you know, will provide them with activities, sex, excitement, you know, um, basically there's a certain type of manhood that only black men present. White men don't have it. They don't have our swag. They don't have our, you know, um, they don't have our good looks. They don't have our skin. You know what I'm saying? And they definitely are missing some other areas that have been already um, <laughs> proven scientifically. You know what I'm saying? So that's what always been, but they've never, because it's been, you know, it's, it's, it's something that's frowned upon in society. They never want to get caught slumming with black men so there's always this buyer's remorse that kicks in or always this vengeance or vendetta thing where black men don't do you know don't 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 submit to white women then there's always been this history of white women you know bringing harm to the black community via charging the black man with some type of false assault or some type of false crime you know what i'm saying and that's something that's been historically proven that's not me saying this you can go back all the different stories in the plantation, all the different slave narratives, all the Jim Crow narrative, all the civil rights narratives, all of the ones there was. You, there's always a place in history where white women have tried have tried to assert their authority over black men. All right, and you you particularly find this in the workplace where the majority of supervisors are white women, and you can find this in places of in judicial prudence. You know um, where where a lot of these white women happen to be presiding judges over cases with, with black men and um and young black boys and then you see it in, in schools with teachers white teachers how they're so vindictive towards little black boys you know they're really vindictive against little tyrone little tyrone he just can't sit still can you he just can't sit still can you what does he eat too much sugar would you you know and it's uh, just talking a bunch of shit to a child you know what i mean and and, and, and you know punishing that child suspending that child you know, putting that child in um, timeout, special ed, all those different things. All these black boys have always been targeted. Black males have always been targeted to white women. But now what's happening, you know, the dynamic is switched up. 
you know, like I said before, y'all better pay attention to their media because their media is trying to tell you a story. You know, um, there's a new movie coming out called The First Purge. And if you see the previews of The First Purge, it reminds you of all the other Purge movies where they're showing you that black people in particular are considered undesirables that need to be eliminated. They call it the cull, C-U-L-L, the culling. And what happens is they call it, you know, the culling is when you go typically apply to farms where you have animals who um, might be diseased, might be sick, might be malnourished, and you can you don't want to breed them any further because you don't want to, you know, you, you look at them as being defective. So you cull them off, you kill them to prevent their bloodline and their genealogy from going forward. Well, that's also a term that's applied to people. And when you have these so-called global elites and these white supremacists that are planning the, the future of the world, well, they also have to plan and prepare your mindset to accept the changes that are about to come. So they utilize the media to get you comfortable with that. And they, did, they used to do things like that all the time. Like they, they used to use the onion to talk about, um, like 10 years ago, they used to use the onion to talk about how they're going to phase slavery out of history books. And go look this shit up. Go look up some past, uh, you know, onion articles about them creating books now with, you know, no longer, you know, um, using the word slavery. Um, and now, look, they actually have books in Texas and other places in the country where they no longer refer to the word slavery. They say involuntary immigrants. You go and look at um, the different, um, uh, in, in Florida, they don't even refer to the Trail of Tears, the tragedy, the tragedy and, the, and Trail of Tears is also an attack on black people because those were black natives that, that, that was in that Trail of Tears. I just want y'all to understand that, excuse me. Those are black natives, women and children that they had put when they and they infected with those um those blankets with smallpox. Those are black people that they did that shit to. So I want y'all to pay attention to when how they when they do some things they they ooze it out of the history book. This is why my biggest issue with intellectuals, black intellectuals who try to intellectualize our predicament and think that you can speak to some type of morality that prevents us from you know, doing things that you would consider immoral to preserve our community or to protect our community from these demons. They are not playing fair. And what they'll do is just like in, um, there is a documentary, I can't remember, I can't remember the name of the documentary, it's gonna come to me though. But um, in this particular documentary, um, they were talking about um, all these different um, black Wall Streets. And I hate that term, Black Wall Street, I swear, I swear to God, I hate it. But they were talking about these different black Wall Streets. And these different black Wall Streets, they were talking about how they were all systemically burnt down. And then the brother that was, the brother has, uh, he had um, locks. Um, and the brother, when he went to, to the libraries, the local libraries, to look up the stories, he was finding on the days that the stories should have been covered, their newspaper clippings were cut out of the newspaper. There were big ass holes where the articles were supposed to be. And when he was talking to the librarian, they talked and hushed tones as if they were ashamed of what they did truthfully speaking these are stuff so so this is what you're dealing with because they know the history this is what, why it just boggles the mind when i see black people trying to explain racism to white people you don't if i benefited from something if i benefited from something do you think you would have to explain how that shit worked for me <laughs> if i benefited from it working do you think that you would have to explain that to me so it kills me as to how black people see some 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 of us see that particular particular place this we are the world shit 
and we want to be the ambassadors of, of you know um race relations when everybody of all the other races get along just fine they all just ganged up to have decided to shit on us and yet and still for some strange reason we are still trying to figure out how to broker peace amongst all the other races when the only piece that needs to be broken is the one where they're kicking our asses. In the class today, um, in the um, workshop today, one of the sisters, you know, I was talking to, um, it was a, you know, I, I did a lot of good, it was a good networking uh, opportunity because I got to meet with some people. Hopefully we're going we're gonna to do some stuff, doing some work within the prison system and a reentry program and start to help those young brothers and sisters who are coming back home so that we can prepare a place for them and prepare them for what's to come. So, but I was talking to some of them, and um, one of the um, sisters that said, excuse me, um, Belgium, excuse me. One of the sisters that said that, um, she said, we have, a, um, you know, I was explaining to them how, because um, one brother went, he said he went to jail and on one hustle and came out with a legal hustle, and I had to stop him short. I said, brother, I'm not going to let you go down this road road to mortality or road to road to morality here. I'm not allowing you to do that because all these other ethnic ethnicities and races they didn't use morals to get to where they are. They used power. They used power, and what they did was they amassed powers. Most of them in the streets. They amassed powers. You know, uh, someone in the politics and politically and all this and that. They amassed power. And when they amassed power, they took that power and they used their gangs to create boundaries and borders in their neighborhoods, the Italians, the Jews, the Polish, you know what I'm saying, um, the the Irish, they all did that. They all picked a racket. You know, the Irish got the police. You know, the Italians got the fire departments and politicians and the Italians, because the Italians had this La Cosa Nostra thing going on, they were able to organize better than the other groups. Well, the Jews, the Jews, the, the Jews just, they got their fingers in everything. <laughs> they got their hands, Mario Lansky and the boys, they got their hands in everything. You know, banks and all that good shit. Um, so they got the banks. And Italians got the seafront, the waterfront, all that good stuff. But they, they were able to finagle it to where they not only protected the community, they became the community bankroll, this, that, and the other. And I told them, brother, listen, listen. This is where we messed up with the heroin trade, the crack cocaine, when you had brothers that was making millions of dollars, you know, instead of building up the communities, they was building up the cars, broke ass cars on big ass rims. You know what I'm saying? You know, we wasn't winning, but the rims were spinning, you know? So um, that's where we fucked up at. We didn't, they didn't decide to move together, work collectively. There was cutthroat. People were showing up for buy, you know, doing buys, getting killed and shit. You had body houses with like 30 and 40 fucking people in it. You know what I'm saying? And instead of working together to build a network to where they could have so-called legitimized their bread and, and had land grabs and own entire neighborhoods and communities and so forth, they spent their money on bullshit. They spent their money on things that can get repossessed. They spent they didn't build, they didn't use their riches to acquire wealth, is what I'm saying. And that's where we fucked up at. They didn't use their riches to make sure that the community was safe for the people that lived there. They didn't police it. The Italians, they had war with each other, but they made sure that the neighborhood was safe for the neighbors. The Irish are just crazy as shit. I, mean, I can't speak for them. Them motherfuckers are just wild as hell. <laughs> but, 
You know what I'm saying? There was still a code, and there were certain things that got taken care of in those neighborhoods and communities. We didn't do those things. And because we allowed for the, the, the stuff, the, the drugs and all that to tear our communities down, we didn't take advantage of creating those strongholds. So we have to look now. If we got young brothers and sisters out there still hustling, y'all need to start, you know, we need to start reaching out to some of them young brothers and sisters that are hustling because we're going to need them too. They're a part of whatever is to come. And we're going to need them to play a role. And hopefully it won't be a role in civil war where we're going off against our people in the community. Hopefully we can teach them how to align with their the, the proper um, agenda so that they're no longer seeing us and each other as enemies. But that's where the cultural teaching comes in. That's where the re-education comes in. That's when actually getting out of your house and walking through your community and talking to these young brothers and sisters on the street, it's a warm greeting, you know, to start the conversation and eventually branch it and bridge it to a conversation of self-empowerment and black empowerment. You know, um, those that's where those places, that's where those conversations take place and get started. You know what I'm saying? Um, and we need to start building toward that. We need to really start doing that because our young people are starting to see us as the enemy. And I ain't gonna lie, there's some of us that see the young people as the enemy. You know, specifically spiteful, you know, um, cats that just can't get out of their immature mindset. There was a brother, I went out to the Juneteenth program, by the way, um, this weekend. And um, I met the elder. Um, I'm bad with names, y'all. <laughs> so y'all gotta forgive me, I'm bad with names. But um, I met the elder who uh, did the Juneteenth program, and um, she, Queen Mother Opalette, she's the one that started the Juneteenth festival out in Texas. And, um, you know, and talking to her, trying to talk to her, and she's an elder, she's trying to turn Juneteenth into a holiday, which is cool. I, you already know how I feel about Juneteenth. Juneteenth is not our independence. Um, it's not our day of independence. But anyway, um, one of the things that we were talking about, and somebody at the table started bringing up, um, there was a brother at the table. We're talking about building black empowerment and independence because they asked me to explain to them or describe to them what the Independence Day project was. And in talking to them, the brothers at the table could not get past their personal gripes within the community. This is the problem we're having. You can't be petty and think that just because you have a personal disagreement with somebody, that that's why black people can't get along. Because you play a role in that personal disagreement. There's two sides to that disagreement. You can't have two sides to a disagreement. I mean, you can't have a disagreement without having two sides to it. So you play a role in that disagreement, and your petty issues with one person will stop a whole fucking nation from growing. So we got to get past these petty differences. Um, and I tried to explain it to the brother, but he was hell-bent on fucking, y'all don't want, you know, um, we're not, you're not trying to see my problem, brother. See your problem. It's very small in conjunction with the bigger problem. You worry, you have a car detail shop. You worry about a mobile detail that's still in your business. Guess what, bro? He's not your fucking problem. The problem is y'all both are eyeing the same crumb off the pie when both of y'all should be expanding your horizons and expanding your clientele. So that was the real problem. But that's not the community's problem. The community's problem is the fact that systemically speaking, we need to have a united front on dealing with white supremacy. 
we need to have an understanding of how to deal with one another in a way where we're dealing with cooperatives. All right. Those are the things we have to start building. Because if we don't, we're going to consistently have these situations. I mean, shit, we already know law enforcement is against us. And now they're, they're, they're not even hiding the fact that they're using law enforcement against us. And the fact that you still have black people occupying places that you've already been shown, that law enforcement will show up. Law enforcement will be called. I mean, let's just count the ways. Twice. Not once. Twice. No, three times, excuse me. The Waffle House recently. Within the last month and a half. Three times in the Waffle House. Tensils. One patient being overpaid, I mean overcharged. And another young brother just showing up on his fucking prime. Why are you still going to the Waffle House? <laughs> You're not a black people. You are not above racism in this country. You, we, we are not in a place right now where we can say race doesn't matter. But just because you can personally dismiss it because you don't want to be responsible for dealing with it does not mean it won't deal with you. And that's a bad lesson that people are learning over and over again. You know, I take pictures of people in Starbucks every time I see black people in Starbucks, and I hope the fuck I make them uncomfortable. I take pictures of everybody. When I see you in Starbucks, I'm taking your picture. Why are you taking pictures? Because Nick Rowe, you shouldn't be buying shit from Starbucks. They've already shown you their national policy. You know what I'm saying? Because the thing, the thing happened in Philadelphia, it happened in Seattle, it happened in Los Angeles, like the same goddamn weekend. You don't go back. You know what I'm saying? Their coffee ain't that fucking good. Waffle House, it's not just it's all these establishments. Black people, stop begging to be places you're not one and build your own. If you watch the Independence Day project, you would already know we have the capability to do all the things. We taught them how to do this shit. Where do you think they get their fried chicken recipes from? Where do you think they get all their ideas for waffles and ingenuity? It's because in black houses, you have to go into the cupboard you know, grandma had to go into the cupboard and make what the fuck was there. So yeah, you have fried chickens and wild fried chicken wings and waffles for breakfast because y'all didn't have any other meat in the house. And the waffles were something you can make with flour; it could last longer. You know, everybody can have eggs. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, so, so those are the things that cheese grits and all this. Then you know, filler mills and that, that stretch things out. That was the, our ingenuity. Why are we afraid to, to put our ingenuity into our own hands so that we can carve out our own destiny and fate? Why are we so afraid of that? It boggles the mind when you consider that at some point, you know, either you move out on your own or you'll be kicked out into the streets. That's what this is coming down to. It's like you've been given an eviction notice. So prepare for the streets and prepare for a place to live Pick yourself up, get ready for a place to live because that date on the calendar is solid. That date on the calendar is final. White supremacy has shown black people, fuck it, they don't need us for a labor force no more. They're already marrying off and, and, and doing the whole grip, um, grifting thing, I mean grafting thing, where they're marrying into black people to get that, that melanated blood into the DNA so they can prosper for another few generations. So they already figured that part out. They already they're taking melanin um, pills and capsules and shit. You know what I mean? So 
Why? They don't need us anymore. And that's a good thing for us because now we can get out and start building for ourselves. Do you know what's going to happen, family? We got we got black towns all over this country right now that are black driven, black like night. We got a lot for, for black people to be so called 14% of this population. We have a lot of places in the country where black people are like 90% of the population. But you know what's going to happen in those places? The white folk don't want those places. They're moving out. They're moving back into the cities. Good. Let them have cities. What they're doing right now with these illegal immigrants. See, we're talking about worrying about immigration reform and all that shit. What you really need to be worried about is where they're going to be sending these dreamers. What you really need to worry about is the cities and townships they're going to have designated for these dreamers. Because what they're doing is they're creating taxes, uh, tax hikes, and tax prohibitive um, situations that are that are making and forcing immigrants to move into tax friendly states. Guess where those tax friendly states are? They're the red states that white folk are starting to abandon. That black people currently are starting to gain traction in. You know what they're going to do, right? They're going to show with the gangs. They're going to show with their mafias, the Mexican mafia. They're going to show with the MS-13 and all the other, you know, um, Spanish gangs. They're going to start showing up. And these motherfuckers are going to come into those communities and do the same thing they did in California. Check California. One of the biggest untold stories is the targeted um, gang terrorism and violence towards black people by Latino gangs. In California, look that shit up. That shit's been going on for about five years. Compton, you talk about dangerous Compton is. Well, Compton ain't black no more. <laughs> it was a town of a hundred thousand black people. Not so much anymore. Even with the black mayor and a black, um, you know, a uh, uh, black city council or whatever, a town council, whatever we call it. No, terror under under siege. Los Angeles, black people are very, very small population in Los Angeles. South Central is like that fucking big. You know what I mean? So we need to start being on code and on point, family. What was happening? You know, we need to start. And um, and we need to understand that if we don't start making a push, a move towards these particular um, places, that, you know, our days possibly could be numbered because Check this here. Everybody is going into the squeeze. And if there's been one agreement amongst all these nationalities and these white supremacists is that they have all aligned to a partnership and an agreement with white people, the white community, as long as we don't profit, as long as we don't prosper, as long as we're suffering. And so that's what that's what's happening. That's why all these immigrants, when they come in, they come into black communities to set up shop. They set up their liquor stores. They set up their Chinese stores. They set up their convenience stores, the, you know, um, the, the the bodegas, all that shit. They do that shit in our neighborhoods. They don't do that shit no other places anywhere in the fucking country. They just come to your neighborhood. I got video and stuff that I'm going to be using for the Independence Day Project, the, the, the second um, edition of the Independence Day Project, where I'm going to show you how in white communities, they do not allow any outsiders to post up in their communities and if you do so you're not they're not going to be a three inch um uh glass it's not going to be a three inch pile of glass in between them and the customers no chinese have actual restaurants 
in these white communities and so forth. And, and people can come in and dine as they, as they choose. But there's no three-inch glass, um, uh, plexiglass border protection between them and the people that are selling that bullshit to. And the quality of food is much better. Ain't that greasy shit they serve black people with rodents and shit playing all in it while they playing in your rice while they put it in the rice cooker. You know what I'm saying? So, um, so, so family, that's where we're at right now. Um, you know, if we don't start having some, uh, if we don't start working towards reciprocation, you know, reciprocity in our community, we're going to be struggling with those things too. One thing I talked, I talked to a young sister at the um, at the at the program today at Temple, and one of the things she was talking about is she said, you know, um, she wants me to come to some of the young millennial meetings that they had. And my response to that, you know, I come, um, but her issue was she wants them to get out of the idea of rugged individualism, and she wants other people to see that we got young black people, you know, doing business. And so that's going to be a conversation that we all have um, because we need to have that conversation with bridging gaps. Um, and and then my conversation with them is going to revolve around reciprocity as well. Um, let me check out some of my people over at um, at um. On the YouTube live, my big my brother, <laughs> brother Ron Bethea, peace and black power to you, brother TK C's in the house. Okay, who is Sasha X? All right, all right, we got new people on the line here to learn how to build. All right, that's right, let's build our own America in Africa. No, let's build our own Africa in America, brother. <laughs> Family, we don't build, you know, no, we're not building America, we're building our Africa. Africa, that's what we're building. We're not here to. Build any, uh, <laughs> we're not here to build up America. We're here to build up Africa. America's doing just fine with all the stealing and shit that's going on there. You know what I'm saying? So, um, family, uh, just wanted to, just a recap of the nice show. White Jezebels have always, always, always been liars. So, from this day forward, family, I want us to understand something. When we start telling y'all that these white heifers are lying, y'all stop questioning us and start questioning them. Because specifically sisters, sisters, you do not have an alliance with white women, all right? If you don't believe me, go back to the Duke Lacrosse case when those savages raped that sister and they forced her to say that she wasn't raped. They forced her, they did a, uh, they went back on her history. They didn't, you know, they didn't um, do any discovery on the the cross players who raped her they went back and did her history when is the victim of a fucking race trial a race crime i mean of a rape case ever the subject of the investigation but she was and the other sister that was there at the house too they made them both change their story you know what i'm saying so we're the only allies that we had and so we're because i didn't see white women coming out of the droves i didn't see the national organization of women I bet I've never seen the National Organization of Women speak out for black women when a white man was the one raping them. White man was harming them. I've never seen that. The National Organization of Women actually resides out of Washington, D.C. They, to this day, they have still not addressed all the missing girls in D.C. That was a year ago. They still have not addressed that shit. So, family, we don't have any allies. Our allies are within the family. We'll work out our differences. We'll work those things out. 
But, you know, we can't work them out if we're consistently aligning with the enemy while the enemy is compiling lies against us. If nothing else has been proven, fact proof positive is that these white women out here making all these accusatory um, uh, statements against black people and, and, and weaponizing their whiteness to call the police on black children and black people, all these motherfuckers, they have shown you the lengths they will go to lie and then on cue pull up with those crocodile tears for the national expose. We got to be smarter than that, family. We have got to be smarter than that. We cannot keep playing this game. So, family, um, don't forget, go to blackindependence.org. Oh, yeah, thank everybody. Uh, my birthday was this past weekend. I want to thank everybody that wished me a happy birthday. Um, and I'd like to thank everybody that um, that uh, was able to um, contribute to the uh, the fundraiser for PAX Inc. PAX Inc. is a, um, is a non-profit, 5013C. Uh, that we have out in North Carolina, and we're, we're turning it into a think tank. You know what I'm saying? We're going to be providing. So, I mean, we already got a lot of information, you know, for your electoral candidates, for everybody that's interested in elections. Um, you know, um, for we have a, a code of conduct in terms of um, ways that we should function in terms of um, getting along with one another and working and building, you know, as we move towards creating a new cultural dialect. So, you know, I thank everybody for going in, um, donating. If you want to go to my page, uh, I'll probably share it another time. We're almost at our goal of $500, which is pennies to most people, but it's a lot. You know, we take what we can at this point because um, that money goes into helping us you know, um, get more programming. Um, right now, there's um, uh, a radio network that's on the is on a rise, an internet radio station, freedomtrainradio.com. Eventually, was is on the cusp of becoming a radio station. So, if you have content or whatever you'd like to be a part of that, hit a brother up. Also, don't forget go to blackindependence.org. Get your copy of the Independence Day Project, family. I promise you, you will not regret it. Um, I have a copy that to send out this week. And also, family, don't forget to, you know, um, as a member of the National Black Liberation Front, we are already, based on the information in this project, we're already working on national um, initiatives to build, nation, to, to build a nation, a powerful nation for Black people. So the information in this documentary is key because the propaganda it's so strong against us that you need something to give you a vision of what an empowered black community can be. This right here is the only documentary out that shows you what an empowered black community would look like free of white supremacy and an instructional guide to get there. Hit the brother of blackindependence.org. So with that said, family, as we start to raise up and move on out, walk with me, all right? Make sure you walk with me, family. We will win. Walk with me. Eddie Somerset, surviving the game. Cop this joint. Days when I've been praying, I've been 